this morning, I uh, have the privilege of uh, sharing uh, God's Word with you, and I am very, uh, I'm very excited to do so. Um, so if you have your Bibles, um, which I hope you do, uh, and if you don't, there's Bibles uh, right in front of you in the pews as well, uh, but if you would turn to the book of Galatians, right to the, the very beginning of the book of Galatians. going to be reading this morning from Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. If you have, um, if you have a program, there's a, uh, a blank note sheet in there for you. So uh, there won't be an outline on the screen, uh, but if you, if you would still be able to follow along and take notes... It would be very, very beneficial this morning. So uh, let's read this morning from the book of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Or we thank you that um, you have breathed your word out, that every, every word um, in the scripture is inspired by you. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can look to it um, for, for teaching, for truth, for understanding. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with all of us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth this morning as we, as we look at these distortions of the gospel. But ultimately, we, we look to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the only name by which we are saved. And Lord, we just give this morning to you. I pray that you would, you would speak um, through me this morning the, the words that you want everyone to hear. And Lord, we thank you so much for your grace that saved us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the title of my, my sermon this morning is one gospel. I thought about um, uh, naming it There Is One Gospel, which we already sing a song called There Is One Gospel. I thought that was a little too on the nose. Uh, so I decided to just reduce it a little bit. But the thing that I want you to, to get out of what I'm speaking this morning and what God's Word is saying that there is no other gospel than the gospel of Christ. Um, so, 
If we, look, uh, if we look at most of Paul's letters to the churches, most of his uh, epistles open with a section where he gives thanks to God for the church that he's writing to. And he often includes a prayer for that church or even a point that he can commend them on, on something they're doing well. And then after this, he then gradually moves into his main purpose for the letter, which typically is not very pleasant for the recipients. But it's interesting because Galatians doesn't begin that way. It doesn't include any of those elements. Galatians goes right into Paul's concern for the people because of the Judaizers that were among them, leading them into false beliefs and a false gospel. Now, who are the Judaizers? The Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who insisted that their fellow Jewish Christians should follow the Mosaic law and that Gentile converts to Christianity must also follow the Mosaic law and be circumcised. Now, Paul describes the beliefs of these Judaizers as a different gospel. Why is he, why is he describing this, this group of, of Judaizers as to believe a, a different gospel? You may ask yourself, was he being too narrow-minded or exclusive? Why was he so insistent that these men were preaching a false gospel? Because the Judaizers, they preached salvation through Christ, but not necessarily through Christ alone. And they never denied, as far as we know, the necessity of belief in Christ as Messiah and Savior. So why was Paul so adamant that it was a different gospel? Well, the, the Judaizers also insisted on certain Jewish traditions and customs, as we said. But many other Jewish Christians also observed these, and Paul didn't condemn them. So why then does he call what they're preaching a different gospel? Well, he actually clarifies in verse 7 that there is not a different gospel, but they are actually distorting, twisting, or perverting the true gospel. Because those Judaizers were troublemakers, and they wished to pervert the true gospel of Christ. So, what is the true gospel of Christ? We should probably clarify that first. Now, Paul states in 1 Corinthians, and I actually, before I get into that, if you would like to, I will be stating all of the uh, references that I'm reading from, but there's going to be a lot of them. So, if you would like to, you can follow along or you can just listen. Um, but the first reference um, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you, believe, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the goodness 
and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the true gospel that Jesus, God in human flesh, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, was buried, raised on the third day, and by God's grace and mercy, if our faith is in him, we are justified. We are made right with God. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, after John was arrested, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the gospel of Christ. This is the true gospel of Christ. And if we understand this, then we we can begin to discern when there are distortions of the true gospel of Christ. Now, in verses 8 and 9 of our text, Paul says that to accept a different gospel is to be accursed. And the Greek word for that is anathema, which literally translates to English to be damned. Now, this means that adding criteria or removing aspects of the gospel are eternally fatal. To not obey the true gospel is to face condemnation. So today... We need to be just as concerned as Paul was in his day of these perversions, these distortions of the true gospel, and recognize the weight of them. Now, the first one that we're going to discuss is the false gospel of faith plus the law. Now, this was the one that Paul was facing in his day. The claim was being made by these Judaizers that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Now, this concept is much more than what we might view today as just a simple denominational difference. It was a full-on redefining of the gospel and what was actually necessary for salvation. So, the Jewish Christians, the Judaizers... They demanded, and we see in Acts 15.1, that they demanded that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, as well as obey the gospel of Christ to be saved. In Acts 15.1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, very quickly after that, Thankfully, Peter refutes that later in Acts 15. He says, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we would have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. And in Galatians 5, later, uh, later in, this, in this book, 
Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul also refutes this false gospel multiple times throughout Romans and Colossians. And the truth of this false gospel of faith plus the law is that it does not save. It adds to the criteria of the gospel. Now, another such gospel, false gospel, in, it's very similar, is the gospel of works without faith. The gospel of works without faith. Now, this concept developed a little bit later over the course of church history, um, but I'm sure it was very present at the time as well. It's very similar to the first one. But essentially, it exalted the effectiveness of certain ordinances, such as baptism, to the point of, this is the thing that will save you. So some people uh, still believe, but did believe that you could baptize others without the need of faith, such as infant baptism, or uh, what's called infidel baptism, where people without faith were made to be baptized literally at the point of a sword, where they had to choose either to be baptized or to die. But there was no faith. There's also the belief of baptismal regeneration, that your baptism is what saves you. But the problem is, That faith is essential to pleasing God and to our salvation. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. In Hebrews 11, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Repentance of sins and faith in Christ are prerequisites to baptism. In Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance and faith must come before baptism. Otherwise, there is no point in being baptized. Once again, in, uh, in Colossians, we see It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This gospel of works minus faith also does not save. Faith is essential to salvation. Now there is the, um, there's also a, the, the gospel of, the false gospel, of good works only. And once again, it's very similar to the previous one. But... Basically, it's the idea 
that as long as you're a good person, whatever that's supposed to mean, as long as you're a good person, you'll be saved. And this is uh, especially if your, your good deeds outnumber or outweigh your bad deeds. So then a good moral person by the world standards, especially if you're religious, you're just assumed to be saved. You're good to go. Now, one sin that can crop up because of this false gospel is the sin of legalism. Now, it can be placed in in this category or possibly the previous one. But legalism is actually, it's not a term that's used in Scripture, but it is a concept that's condemned by it. So, what is legalism? Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance with God. In, in other words, if we can get God on our side by obeying him and doing as many things for him as possible that we can do, he'll save us. And he'll keep us if and only if we continue to measure up to his expectations. But the truth of the biblical gospel is the good news that this is impossible. We can never measure up to his expectations. We see in in Acts chapter 10 that good moral people, even devout religious people, are in need of salvation. Cornelius was a good, moral, devout man, yet in Acts 11 we see that he needed to be saved. And then Acts also includes many other examples of conversion that involved religiously devout people. The 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, the Ethiopian eunuch, and even Paul in Acts chapter 22. The truth is we cannot be saved by our good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, For by by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And later in the same chapter, he also writes, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, we'll, we'll speak about justification by faith a little bit later and, and what that means in the Christian's life. Uh, but also in Galatians chapter 2, later in the same book that we're, we're reading from this morning, Paul writes, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, in Titus chapter 3, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life.
the false gospel of good works only does not save. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into God's good graces. We are justified, we are saved by his grace alone. Now the next distortion or perversion of the gospel is the false gospel of blind faith without works. So this is essentially placing your faith in something that you do not know and also not doing anything differently than what you did before. And this is a a false gospel that seems to be very prevalent today. There's no obedience required, but there's also no understanding of faith and what your faith is in. Sometimes one perversion of the gospel will lead to a different perversion of the gospel. So the previous one of works without faith, some people saw that and said, well, I don't, I don't like that. Obviously, we need to have faith. But they didn't know what their faith was in, and they threw out works entirely. Now, th- this, this is an overreaction to salvation by works without faith. Um, I was once having a, a conversation with someone, and we, we began talking about our faith. Um, and we kind of discussed sort of surface-level things at first. Oh, what's your favorite worship music? And uh, what, what authors do you like? And all those kinds of things. And I, we began uh, discussing our, our school background. And I said, yeah, I'm studying theology and, um, and biblical studies. And he said, oh, theology, yeah. I don't, I don't know about, like, theology. I just love Jesus. Hmm. So I asked him, who, who is Jesus? And the only way he could answer was to give me a theological response. Oh, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Congratulations, you're doing theology. Theology is literally just the study of God. And unfortunately, in the false gospel of blind faith without works, there's no understanding of who God is. It, it, not only can it result in a life that doesn't please and honor God because of the sin that's prevalent, but this faith, more often than not, is completely blind. It's empty and meaningless because you cannot have faith in a God that you don't know. Of course, there's an aspect of faith where there's trust and in and, and, and something we can't completely understand. But if you don't understand God at all, how can you have faith in him? The gospel of Christ requires obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, And being made perfect, he, Jesus, 
became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We are saved by faith alone. But if that faith doesn't result in works and a change of heart and a change of life, is it true faith? Well, in, uh, in, in James chapter 2, he actually, James answers that for us. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So then, the things needed for the body, I just went back up, wait, sorry, I lost my spot. So, okay. We're on verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me read that again. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, true saving Faith is a gift from God that will result in a heart and life change. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, that we should walk in those works. So our works don't save us. But works are a very important part of the Christian life. As we, uh, we discussed earlier in a few verses, we were talking about justification by faith. To be made right in God's sight. And Andrew Fuller writes uh, concerning justification by faith. Thus it is that justification is ascribed to faith. Because it is by faith that we receive Christ. And thus it is by faith only, and not by any other grace. Faith is peculiarly, you know how many times I practice saying that word? <laughs> faith is peculiarly a receiving grace, which none other is. Were we to, were we, said to be justified by repentance, by love, or by any other grace, it would convey to us the idea of something good in us being the consideration on which the blessing was bestowed. But justification by faith conveys no such idea. On the contrary, it leads the mind directly to Christ in the same manner as saying of a person that he lives by begging leads to the idea of his living on what he freely receives. So basically what he's saying is that if we are not justified by faith, then there's something else that we have to be justified by that's this good thing in us that God sees and then is like, oh, look at that good stuff in him. I'm going to save him. No. 
We're not saved by anything we can conjure up within ourselves. We're saved by God's grace through our faith. So, that's justification by faith. But let's talk about the works for a second. Because many people fail to distinguish about or distinguish between different kinds of works. So as we discussed earlier, there's the works of the law of Moses by which one is not justified. There are what are called meritorious works or works of merit done to earn salvation, which again is impossible. We can't merit our own salvation. But then there's works of God, works of God that he does and that are commanded of us to please him. Works of God are done not to earn salvation, but as a result of God's grace. Faith in Jesus is a work of God. Repentance of sins is a work of God. Confessing Jesus is a work of God. And such works in and of themselves don't save us. God does the saving through his grace and by his power alone. The gospel, the false gospel of blind faith without works does not save. Now, there have been several other perversions of the gospel throughout the years, and some of them are becoming more and more prevalent today. The first of which is called Gnosticism, which denied Jesus coming in the flesh and holds to salvation through knowledge, not faith. Now, don't be confused. Gnosticism is not a Christian belief system. It is not. And it has many other issues other than just these two. But to deny the humanity of Christ completely destroys the biblical teaching of the atonement, that, that Christ's death paid for our sins. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And what Gnosticism holds to is basically that Jesus was sort of a spiritual projection on earth, but he wasn't actually physically here. Um, another distortion of the gospel that is, again, very prevalent today is Mormonism. Mormonism uh, proclaims a different gospel based on angelic revelation. But remember Paul's words, even if an angel from heaven were to preach to you a different gospel than the one we preach to you, let him be cursed. Mormonism is not a Christian belief system either. They definitely pull a lot of their beliefs from Scripture. They definitely pull a lot of things out of Scripture as well to fit what they want it to fit. Um, one, one other distortion of the gospel that we see very, very, very prevalent today is what has been dubbed progressive Christianity. 
progressive Christianity, which in all reality, it's, it's the opposite of progressive. Um, it's it's more, more along the lines of regressive. Uh, but progressive Christianity basically denies the authority, inerrancy, and inspiration of Scripture. That's the first thing that they do. So once this foundational element of Christianity is thrown away, Scripture, the entirety of the faith will crumble. Now, they've also given a term for this, and they call it deconstruction. The deconstruction movement is massive right now, especially if you're a young person and you're, you're on the internet and you see, you see multiple people talking about how they've deconstructed their faith. Now, what they claim they're doing is exactly, they're, they're claiming that they did, they're doing what the reformers did, which is not at all what they're doing. What the reformers did was they sought to correct error in the church by returning to Scripture and finding their truth in Scripture, while the deconstructionists seek to tear down every core tenet of the faith until there's nothing left but their opinions. Basically, whatever makes me feel icky when I read the Bible We'll just throw that part out because I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And eventually you're left with nothing. Progressive Christianity more often than not leads to no Christianity. And finally, there's the, the false gospel of universalism. Uh, this one has, gaining, has been gaining a lot of traction lately as well, which I've been very surprised uh, to see. But universalism is basically a belief system that Jesus' death effectively saved everyone and all people will be in heaven one day. Now, this is in direct contradiction to biblical teaching that we must believe in order to be saved. In John 3.36, it says, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And it also denies the biblical teaching of the eternal punishment of hell. In Matthew 25, 46, it says, And these, talking of the unbelieving, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. None of these so-called gospels save because they either remove aspects of the gospel or they add to the criteria of what you need to do to be saved. We need to be careful with some of these teachings. We need to be careful that the gospel that we believe is the one that was preached by the apostles in scripture. Even angelic revelations are to be rejected if they're different from what is taught in Scripture. This has eternal consequences. The pure gospel of Christ may not be a popular 
thing. But, as Paul writes, who are we trying to please? If it's, if it's men, it's people, and we're not true servants of Christ, or we at least need to examine ourselves and realign our hearts with the teaching of Scripture. And if we're trying to please the majority of people to try to sound nice, we're on the wrong path, and we need to turn around immediately. Once again, what is the gospel of Christ? What is the true gospel of Christ? Again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Our faith must be placed in Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who died the death that we deserved on the cross, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day. Now quickly before we, uh, we close, I want to uh, go over I, I, a few aspects of the gospel that if you remove them, there is no longer the gospel. And again, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first is that the gospel was planned by God beforehand. In verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Prophecy in the Old Testament foretold of Jesus Christ and God's plan to save humanity. The gospel was planned by God beforehand. We also must recognize that the gospel is an objective, physical event in history. Jesus physically came to this earth, he physically died, he was buried, and he was bodily resurrected from the grave. We must believe that the, the, these aspects of the gospel were real, true, physical, historical events that happened. We also must believe that the gospel is an objective accomplishment otherwise known as the atonement, that the death of Christ was a purchasing or obtaining of redemption for all who would believe. In verse 3, Christ died for our sins. The debt was paid. One of the false gospels that we discussed, progressive Christianity, has thrown this aspect out as well. They, they have thrown out the aspect of the atonement. But we cannot get rid of this. Otherwise, there is no gospel. We also must believe that the gospel is a, a free offering to be made that, to all that what Christ accomplished may be had in faith in him. It's a free offering 
to all people. But we must have faith in him and believe. Finally, the gospel is an eternal and infinitely happy future destiny. In verses 1 through 3 of of 1 Corinthians 15, the word gospel, good news, and the word saved, and the fact that Jesus bore our sins, means that we are free from the penalty of sin, which is death. The gospel is an eternal and infinitely happy future destiny. Right now, it may not feel that way. But if our sins have been paid for by Christ, which Scripture teaches, if you are in Christ, they have, your future eternally will be in glory and celebration and joy and happiness with the God who made you forever. It's, it's easy to, to get um, very confused with all of the different things that are being thrown at us daily. I think, uh, I think the, the internet has played a, a huge role in that negative, uh, that negative light, um, as, as television once did. But we must look to Scripture with everything that we hear, whether it's from me, whether it's from Pastor Ed, whether it's from someone on TV, whether it's, doesn't matter who it is, always test what is said with Scripture. If it does not align with Scripture, it must be called out. And if it does align with Scripture, we must continue testing Because it's very, very easy for us to get confused. Even even pastors, even preachers, and sometimes they need a little nudge back to the truth. But these false gospels, and there are many, many others, unfortunately, being preached today. Either for the benefit of the one preaching or just out of pure ignorance. There's only one gospel. There's only one good news. All others are distortions and twistings and perversions. There is one gospel of Christ, and it is the only one that saves. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for... uh, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that your grace is, is sufficient enough to, to cover over some of our some of our our, our bad understandings and our, our wrong beliefs. Um, but Lord, there are certain certain things we know that we must hold to in order to be saved. But thank you so much that we are justified not by our works. We are justified by faith 
because of your grace. And I just pray that if, if, there are any, if there's anyone here today that maybe they've heard the true gospel for the first time today, or maybe they've believed one of these false gospels and are continuing to walk in it thinking that they're okay, I just pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts this morning. But Lord, ultimately that we would, we would see the beauty and the amazing truth that the gospel saves. The amazing truth that we can't work our way to Jesus. We can't do enough to be saved. God, it's by your grace alone. We thank you for, for the death and resurrection of Christ, the, the atoning death that his blood covered over our sins, even some of our false beliefs. And I just thank you that, that you are so good and you are so gracious to us. Lord, um, I just... Uh, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that we would continue to turn back to your word, turn back to the truth, and that we would be convicted by the Holy Spirit um, when we hear some of these, these things taught. Pray that you would protect us, protect our church uh, from false beliefs. I thank you so much for, uh, for Pastor Ed and his, uh, his passion to, to preach and to defend the flock from false teachings and to preach the truth. God, we love you so much. We give you all the glory. Thank you for saving us. We didn't deserve it, but Lord, you saw fit to send Jesus, and we thank you so, so much for his sacrifice. And it's in his precious name, the name of Jesus, the only name by which we are saved, that we pray.